This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we have another amazing guest here on the show. Now, uh, another British man actually based in Canada. Um, his name is Paul MacArthur. Uh, he's a disruptor of the status quo when it comes to leadership. Uh, he's a speaker, he's a catalyst and author of Fired Leadership. And he's worked with over 100 different organizations in 15 different industries over the last 25 years. Um, Deloitte and KPMG Canada positions him as a subject matter expert in the field of talent management and leadership development. Now, some of the things that we're going to be covering today is probably a little bit different from what you would averagely hear on anything with, with regards to leadership. So we're going to be, um, Paul's got a very fascinating um, story that he's going to be sharing with us um, very shortly, but we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the future of leadership, but more importantly, we're going to be talking a little bit about rebellious leaders, right? Rebellious leaders and why they're important as part of the growth of company. We're going to be talking a little bit about toxicity in the workplace. We're going to be talking a little bit about why a lot of organizations don't want to kind of make shifts in leadership there's a this kind of like parallel between what they think is right and what they think is not right type of thing. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Um, and I want to give a big shout out to uh, my good friend, John Spence. And me and Paul are good friends with John. John introduced uh, Paul over to today's podcast, which is always a really good thing, you know, being able to recommend really good, um, uh, you know, really good guests for today's show. And for me, like last week when I first um, spoke to Paul, we, he was in, like, he, what's really interesting about Paul is that he, for me, my first impressions was, wow, it's like, this guy really does think out of the box. He's a complete and utter, um, could be classed as a bit of a nutcase in the leadership realm, but really a very <laughs> thought provoking, ruffle your feathers type of um, leadership expert, if you want to call him that. If, if you call him a leadership e expert, he might punch you in the face because he probably doesn't want to be seen as a leadership expert. He's actually much more than that. Um, much That's the reason why we had him, have him on the Game Changers experience. So without further ado, Paul, welcome to the show. <laughs> Adam, thank you. Thank you. I just stopped <laughs> laughing for, for two reasons. One is I'm going to disrupt you straight away. My surname is McCarthy, not MacArthur. So um wrist slaps for that and every other every other uh, influencer who gets things wrong and the second thing i'm just absolutely cracking up no pun intended about being called a nutcase i love it i love it i'm an anti-leadership nutcase so yeah thrill, thrilled to be here and and kudos to our friend john for, for getting us getting us this far so thank you absolutely and you know john's such a great guy if you guys don't know who john spence is um rewind this podcast once you've listened to this show by the way go back. I can't even remember 
what number he was on, but uh, we had some great conversations. I think it was like before episode 100 or something like that. I can't remember, but he's a great guy um to uh to connect with as well so um but listen i'm looking forward to today's conversation more than anything else so interestingly enough right um i mean we know we, we've been getting to know each other pretty well um interest I, I would like you to kind of give the audience a bit more context as to how you are should we say changing changing the uh i wouldn't say i'm not going to say future of leadership changing the the perspective of how leadership it should or shouldn't be because i know that you have a certainly a very different opinion about how leadership and leadership organizations and and how you know that kind of perspective but tell us a little bit more about your backstory with regards to how you got ended up getting fired and then you end up kind of carrying out your research let's uh, let's start from that mm yeah love it love it I, I i also i feel like i sound like a broken record because i've said this hundreds and hundreds of times to different people on podcasts and in, in one-on-ones and all that so but it never get I, I never get tired of it but but most this there's a stigma around this which which i'll just say off the bat not everybody needs to be like me because we we have a taboo subject about the idea of being fired in our in our world in the western world right and so the backstory for me was and by the way there's nothing wrong with being fired so i just want to be very clear on that <laughs> um, unless of course you you know you've hired private planes and uh leveraged expense accounts and you've done something immoral and unethical then you probably deserve to get fired but in my case it was none of those things but i i've been kind of in the consulting world for over a quarter of a century and and I was hired in progressively more senior roles to become a leader in a lot of those different consulting firms. And I was hired for qualities that eventually would get me fired when I demonstrated them. And so as I was moving forward in these, these household named companies, I was displaying the qualities that I'd gone through maybe six or seven interviews on average, which are quite costly ventures um, of people's time and money. And I displayed the qualities I was congruent throughout these processes. And as soon as I displayed them, it would cause challenges and it would eventually lead to what I would call stepping on ego-based landmines, ego-based leadership landmines. And I would reveal the true extent of toxicity and dysfunction systemically and institutionally embedded in the way that we identify, recruit, onboard and develop leaders. I wouldn't know this at the time, of course, I would just be seen as that shit disturber who was causing trouble. Um, but, the, but, but the irony is that my expertise, if you could call it that, which I don't like when people call themselves experts or gurus, because I think we've always got so much more to learn. But regardless of that, Western conventional world put me in the camp of saying, your expertise is developing leaders. So I was a leader in consulting firms, but I would be hired out to clients to develop their leadership cadres. So my job as a consultant was to design, develop, deliver, audit leadership development programs. So my, I also saw the trends and I saw what was on the horizon. And I started, to, when I started getting fired from these exec leadership roles, I started to question, I wonder if we're firing top talent that we need to navigate ongoing disruption. And that was my whole hypothesis, Adam. And by the way, this was four or five years ago. So pre 
the largest global human experiment, human capital experiment in history called COVID. So I was working on this where I started to get really curious, whereas most people, when they get fired, they, they lick their wounds, they roll over, they go to a bookstore, they go to a bookshelf, and they get a book on self-development about how to deal with being fired. Some of them massage their resume, let's not lie. Some of them gloss over this experience. And it's a taboo in our world about being fired. I got so curious about it because I had some data points that were telling me, I don't know if we're developing leaders with the right skill sets for the future. I keep getting fired for these skill sets. I keep getting asked if I want, if I'm going to display them. Is there, a, is there a kind of connection with these data points? And so quite literally, Adam, I, I got really curious. I went into a dark room with no windows, with ping pong tables and pizza, <laughs> and started doing research and analysis for about 18 months. And all of a sudden, the concept of fired leadership was born, which led to everything else I'm doing and, and now doing. And so my story was, yeah, I got fired four times from, from leadership roles, got curious and revealed the hypocrisy of leadership, quite frankly. It wasn't my intention. I wanted to be the guy who was the leader who had the nice coveted corner office, people working with me. And, you know, I was all about that and quite Quite frankly, this this major disruption to me has shifted my life completely forevermore. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, you are a very um, curious guy. I mean, that's what kind of, uh, I suppose, that was what attracts me to you is because you are a very curious person. And it's like, you know, it's it, you try to, rather than kind of just believe in one one set of facts whatever it is is to try to look around and try to say well maybe there is another set of facts or maybe there's a different perspective and kind of creating your own perspective do you know what I mean creating your own perspective on that if that makes sense yeah well I quite quite simply and this is going to upset a lot of leadership you know air quote gurus um I realized that we were peddling a broken system mm. and a lot of the leadership practitioners that we all know um, have contributed to that over their careers. And it's not their fault, or sometimes it could be. Because here's the thing, not am I only doing, uh, forging a new path in the future of leadership and disrupting our understanding of what we need for the future leadership. I'm also questioning the system. And why is it that we've allowed broken methodologies and approaches to sum, summing the total of almost $400 billion every year, Adam, around the world that's spent on leadership development. But when, when DDI in 2018 surveyed how effective that leadership development was, only 14% of those who procured that leadership development found that it worked. So that's 86% of investment that's not generating an ROI. And a lot of this investment is being put into leadership methodologies. You know, there's thousands of different techniques and methods out there. We don't need another leadership book. In fact, what I'm doing is critiquing the leadership industry and saying, shame on us. We've contributed to a broken system. What are we now going to do about it? And so my, my work has kind of taken on that, you know, planting some seeds, mm. seeing what's growing. And now all of a sudden people are realizing, yeah, we, we've got, a systemically and institutionally dysfunctional approach to how we develop leaders, not just develop, mm. identify, recruit, onboarding, and develop and exit. And I want to talk about it. 
And I, I want to I want to shift people's narratives about this. That's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I've got a question. I've got um, something that I, I kind of picked up from your 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 statement there. Do you think that I mean, I love I love the fact that, you know, you want to change the 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 perspective of the of of how leadership and, and kind of leaders and how they're developed and stuff. But do you feel like companies and organizations, do you feel like it's because the reasons why they're that they're not doing something slightly different is because they don't know how or they don't want to. What do you think about mm, that? Great, great question. Um, I, typical consultant answer is it depends. It's a bit of both. <laughs> but but <laughs> that, yeah, I'm going to thank all these these consulting firms for that training, that expensive <laughs> training. Well, it depends. That buys me a bit more time. Of course. Um, but that, actually, it's a bit of both. So um, just straight off the bat, my you know, Three or four years ago, I came out of the gate and I was quite angry. Right? Mm. I wanted to throw a grenade in the middle of the room. <laughs> I wanted to disrupt the system. Right? I wanted to say, I wanted to shake people and say, "You're in the matrix. Wake up. You need to, to take this pill because everything you're doing is contributing to the continued dysfunction." And so I realised that that approach didn't work. Right? It was just an angry old man. You know, I, I'm almost fifty. <laughs> I, you know, I know I'm almost fifty and I don't look it, but. You know, it was just an angry old man. And I had my own journey to go through. And, and I, I document the five stages of my journey with Dr. A. Carez, who's, you know, one of LinkedIn's 1% top voices on leadership. And, and anyone's interested can find it on YouTube under my profile. But um, it was a very painful process for me to evolve to the point where I now serve as a guide. So my job isn't to judge you. My job isn't to kind of, come in and say, thou shalt, you should. And if you don't, this is going to happen. My job is to say, wherever you are, Adam, I'm going to meet you on that journey. And I've been in your position. So I've started to, you know, my five stages, just to recap them, of my own journey, which I think everybody's going through. And to, to answer your question, we'll, we'll meet them at whichever point they're at. Start, we start with the awareness. Something's not right. There's some, there's some challenges in the way that we, we do our leadership and, you know, we spend too much money or um, people get promoted for laughing at the jokes that aren't funny <laughs> because it's part of the old boys club. Um, proper talent gets exited from the business because they question too much and they reveal dysfunction. So it's awareness. That then leads to awakening, sec the second stage. We start waking up to the true impact of the costs by the way, Gallup estimated $7 trillion of disengagement every year and rising. That was pre-COVID. Imagine what it is now with everybody jumping on the bandwagon about the great resignation, great reimagination, whatever you want to call it. But we start to wake up to the true impact of this, right? Step three is the courage to actually do something about it and address it. And that's the tipping point. And when you go and address it, step four is start. you start to evolve your understanding of dysfunction and you reframe it from dysfunction to disruption so now you're positively disrupting and you are starting to go into what i call step five which is the embodiment now you're embodying this change that you're advocating for now wherever people are clients are because we're human at the end of the day right wherever we are on that scale is fine and i meet people where they are so i think there's there's an element of that to to your question and i think the other thing is some of them are still 
denial. There's denial. There's the elephant, the, the, the ostrich in the sand. Mm. And people think it's going away, but it's not going away because every like all of the data points that, by the way, all I've, I've done is connect them and come up with some new IP to say, what if blah, 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 fill in the dots. Mm. So so those that, that say there's nothing happening and they're in denial, what we're going to see more and more of is talent retention challenges. We're yeah. going to see, you know, everybody's talking about quiet quitting. That's a load, pardon my French, that's a load of bollocks because all <laughs> that is, is is another term for the manifestation of toxicity starting to take effect. Mm. So when your workers leave or they get less productive and morale drops, mm. that's the consequences of you choosing to do nothing. So that that is what happens. So. So very long-winded, perhaps, answer to your question, but but <laughs> I, I'm I'm essentially seeing myself as a support mechanism. Yeah. And I I quite frankly I don't care where you are on that continuum. I'm just going to come and support you whenever you need my help. Really. Yeah. Yep. Love that. Very cool. There, there was something that um, I picked up from uh, what you said at the beginning, because you said when you were fired after four times, by the way. Um, cause you went in there, but then as you started to, I'm going to call it, um, expose the mask because effectively that's effectively, that's what it is. It's, a, a, a mm. whatever mask you want to call it. Right. When you started peeling back the onion or whatever it is that you want to, whatever perspective you want to call it. And then you started, then obviously conflict starts to come in because you have a slightly different approach to leadership. Um, what do you think they were scared of when they when you started exposing what the organization and the company really meant? Did, did it did they see you as a threat? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, <laughs> I I think I think people have fiefdoms, and I think people don't like to be challenged because mm. we've. In the Western world, we've wrapped up our identity. We're starting to change this now because of COVID as, sure. as one accelerator and others. But we've wrapped up our identity with our work. And we've become so accustomed to having the, the, the title, the, the corner office, the responsibility, the silo-based behavior, that anyone that challenges our fiefdom is a threat. Now, I came in, uh, and just as an example, um, I won't name the, the uh, actual protect. The, in, the innocent or the guilty, depending on, <laughs> on your perspective on this story. Um, a major big, big consulting firm that, um, you know, their logo is almost like a, a dot, um, you know, and, and that's all I'll say about it. Great, great people. It was a great experience in my life. Sure. And when I came on board, one of the things I did before I joined on my own dime was to go and see the office. I traveled across the world to go see this organization. Yep. And this organization had a target in this office of reaching 50 million. I put it, I put this in my first book, by the way, um, which talks about a lot more of this. But but it had a target of achieving 50 million in that fiscal year from business development and delivery of consulting. I go in on my own dime to interview all these partners after I've been given the job. So I was a disruptor before I even knew it. And I've been a disruptor since the age of 11, which you and I should talk about that because because that was a pivotal moment for you and your your life um, and for me too. But I, I went in and I asked, I, I talked to all the business development managers and directors and partners. And I said, so you've got this 50 million target. That's great. 
can you show me the roadmap for the activities you're going to do to achieve that target? Right. The, the response back was, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll show it to you. Right. And so fast forward, but we'll show it to you when you start working it. Fast forward a few months. I joined. Now I'm a man of my word. So I'm accountable to myself and others. And I follow up on things. First week of joining new company, I asked for the strategy to see the roadmap. And the, the response back to me at that point was, we don't need a strategy. Now, lean in, listeners. We are, insert big company name here. We will deliver that, that, that money without the strategy. We don't need one. At which point I turn around and your listeners are going to hear the second time I say the word bollocks. I said, that's bollocks. Um, and the arrogance and hubris of this organization. Now, that marked my card, right? So I became known as a bit of a, a troublemaker ah. because I was I was hired to be a troublemaker. I was hired to stir things up, to evolve things, because I firmly believe that innovation is a result of disruptive thinking. And disruptive thinking is a product of creating the conditions in an organization's culture and leadership team to, to think and dare to think and act differently. Now, on paper, this organization encouraged that. In practice, they didn't. Now, two years, two and a half years later, when I was fired from that organization, mm. I asked the partner rather cheekily, how much of that 50 million did you achieve? And the answer was 5 million. <laughs> and I said, I said, why was that? They said, because we didn't have a strategy. Now, your listeners can make of what they want of that. This has been through the legal, the legal discussions with my lawyers. So everything I'm talking about in my book and this is fine. It's kosher to talk about. But but it's it's a reality of dysfunction and hypocrisy in leadership. It's also a reality of a troublemaker comes in with the, the great intent of evolving the conversation in the business. Mm -hmm. But because they're seen through the lens, the myopic lens of we've always done it this way, it's always worked. Well, no, it's not. It, no one's ever had the courage to tell you it doesn't work. It's limping forward, but it's still a broken machine. Yeah. Someone comes in with, with pure intentions, like I did, every, every time of the four times I've been fired, and I step on toes. I threaten people. My curiosity threatens people. But it's because I'm motivated by a bigger picture, not, not by narcissistic, egotistical career intentions. You know, I think you... you brought up a really good point i mean if i was in if i was in your position i would exactly i would ask exactly the same question but that was just that was just because of what i do but yeah it's, you know I mean? well, it's a natural question it's a natural question of course like where's the roadmap i mean it's just not, it's not rocket science or anything but but also i i guess and, and I, I guess that kind of helps me to kind of get an understanding that actually you could look at that from two perspectives. Like if someone came into someone like you came into my organization, you know, I would embrace that and be like, Oh, he's brought a really good point here. Right. You know, you, you could take it from that perspective or you could take it from the perspective of, Oh, this guy's a threat. He's going to get me this. He's going to, he's going to take mm. my job. Do you know what I mean? He's so I guess it's, it depends on, I suppose, on the culture of the organization or the company, right? I suppose that plays a very important role. But it also depends on who's actually steering the ship in the first place or who's supposedly steering the ship in the first place is going to also depend on that conversation. I was going to ask you um, um, a, a quick question as well with regards to, um, 
you, you mentioned something which really cracked me up actually, which was people's ego, right? I mean, mm. <clears throat> when you go into, when you went into that organization or uh, in your, from your past experiences, um, when it comes to ego, because I mean, ego can be seen in, in, in a positive way, but in, also in a negative way, can't it? But mm. from your perspective, um, do you feel like when you go into, when you went into that organization, do you feel because of that, I don't know, they may have seen you as a threat, which it sound like they did. What do you think that did to their egos? Because I feel like with a, even with a lot of companies these days, right, it's all about the positions. It's all about, I'm going to have my own office. It's all about, you know, um, I am, um, I have all the answers, you know, I don't need you. I'm all about the promotion. I'm going to get the bonuses. It's kind of, and it's interesting because I had a fascinating conversation with Morag Barat, who we talked about actually just before the conversation. Mm. And she talked a little bit about in her new book, she talked a little bit about having a friend, you know, like a true friend. Uh, and that's the key to building really good, um, you know, sort of what I call deep connection, deep relationships. And that's what, you know, is the key element to driving a business forward. But going back to the question of, do you feel like a lot of these people, are, you know, feel like because you're, they're threatened, do you feel like also their egos are damaged or their reputation feels like they're damaged? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, th I think uh, this, this also dovetails to, to one of the things we were talking about backstage about being vulnerable in the mm. workplace. Yes. And, and so I, I've seen so many organizations, I've, I've actually been one of the people that put these one page glossy, visually appealing mission statements on the wall of executives offices and stuff, where we talk about things like vulnerability and authenticity and transparency. Now that relies, that, for, for the listeners hearing this, I believe that having a, uh, an ego is a healthy thing. Uh, there's a healthy approach to an ego, which is a protector. And it's something that, that, that guides us in decisions we make. But, but when we put our ego before what's best for the organization, for the team, for our, our function, that's when we've stepped over the, over the boundary. Right? So for me, what I went in with the lens with this organization that I mentioned, as well as every other organization, with the pure intention, with no malice or agenda, to actually support the organization on its mission, to evolve yep. its mission. Yep. I went through, you know, six or seven interviews on average. Came on, I, I reasserted that that was my intention. That's why I'm here. And so I think one of the things I'd also just like to kind of, as I answer this is um, acknowledge that McKinsey did some research recently where they, post-COVID, they said one of the reasons why people have been leaving organizations is because of uncaring leaders. So leaders just not really giving to, you know, a concern. Yeah. Now, three, four years ago, I would have, again, thrown the grenade in the, in the middle of the room and said, well, it's all about people's egos. They've got to They've got to be more vulnerable or more open. They've got to stop being affected personally by this. But where I am of the opinion now is that we are all human in the workplace, right? And our ego in this context, as I'm answering this question, is an attempt 
to preserve the person position, right? They, they are complicit sometimes by design, but sometimes unintentionally. And so they may feel that they've inherited a system where they have to play this role, right? So sometimes the ego and the way that people have responded to me in those positions is a manifestation of what they think and the role that they need to play, right? Four years ago, I might have taken a, an interpretation of that by saying they're contributing directly and intentionally to the broken system. Now I'm of the view as I've, I've kind of gone through my five stages of evolution and as I've reframed my understanding to be one of more compassionate disruptor rather than just like jump in the middle of the room, you're part of the problem, off with your heads. You know, I'm now of the view that actually we need to, we need to demonstrate more empathy and compassion to those people because that's how we reconnect with what their overall purpose is and their values. So again, no, no judgment. I'm walking alongside and every one of the people that's fired me and everyone that's been complicit in normalizing such dysfunction in the workplace, I forgive them. And the reason I forgive them is because it wasn't their fault. They were actors that inherited a script into a play that, that, that they never questioned. Mm. But now with this great, great reawakening, everybody's starting to question everybody's starting to wake up. So I think we're a tidal shift in our in our evolution of human consciousness, yeah. and that's going to be mirrored in the way that we structure our organizations and leadership going forward. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I just went off on a tirade there. Um, <laughs> no, it was perfect, actually. I, you know, I, you know I, I, do, I, do like, uh, I did like your answer. I think it was very, very good, and, and, and certainly a lot more detailed than I thought it was going to be. But that, no, that was cool. Um, I was going to ask you, actually, with regards to... Um, uh, I was going to ask you. With regards to... I, I've made you speechless. You did make me a Adam bit speechless, strong. actually. I was just kind of thinking to myself, where do I take this one? Uh, where do I take this one next? <laughs> anyway, leadership development programs. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. huge amounts of money spent on leadership development programs per year in organizations. Um, number one, why do you feel like there needs to be a shift in these leadership development programs? Um, I just love to get your opinion. I think it's isn't it like something like ridiculous, like $40 billion spent on leadership development. Is that, is that correct? 400 close oh, to 400, sorry, 400. okay yeah. oh, well yeah, off yeah. the mark jesus uh, you know if you want to compare this to gdp of some small countries to put it into context but um where, where do i so so <laughs> you might have to give me a time limit because <laughs> um i mean uh, i could i could run run the gambit let's let's what comes out of my head in my research because i've done sure. extensive research of of hundreds and hundreds of leading leadership development programs of yeah. the stuff I've developed myself of, of, you know, the business school kind of leadership development programs. Um, very few of them. Well, let, let me, let me start this out by saying they're all based upon uh, a pathway that they think is, is the right pathway for a leader to be developed on. Very few of them have ever engaged the leader to understand what he or she wants to learn. Right. So you take this cookie cutter pathway that worked for this organization over here in this sector mm. and you apply it over here and you wonder why the ROI of that learning and development pathway is low. You wonder why leaders disengage. Guess why? 
learning and development managers, directors, training managers lean in, chief people officers lean in, because you're not engaging the leader in understanding what's important to them to learn. Lean in further, because now what you're not doing, you've not done that, but what you could be doing when you do that is to say, how would you like to be measured in terms of the effectiveness of the learning and development for your role? So now all of a sudden we've engaged the learner, learner-centric model, learner has designed their metrics of ROI and effectiveness. And guess what? The next thing, lean in again, how are we going to measure you along the way? Uh, what, what role do you play? Shall we get this measurement from your colleagues, from your direct reports, from your clients, um, from the vendors that provide the learning them? So basically what I'm saying is a holistic approach to learning and development rather than, because the average spend of leadership development per head is $4,000 per leader, right? That some will tell me that they, they don't have the time to modify, to, to uh, do different pathways because it costs a lot. It does cost a lot. But the important thing here is if you're investing in your leaders, it should cost a lot, right? So engage them, get their perspectives, get their measurements of how they want to be held accountable, follow up, create the governance environment and link all of this, by the way, to an overarching learning and development strategic plan that's linked to your organization's purpose and mission, yeah. put your HR and chief people officers at the table to actually drive forward the workforce planning strategy and talent management strategy. That will help you retain leaders. That will help you attract leaders. And that will make them more productive in their roles if they feel engaged. So that's one of my answers uh, to that question about what I think is wrong with the current approach. We just take a cookie cutter, cut and paste, change the name, apply it in, in the leadership cadre and think it works. But we have no engagement, we have no measurement, and we have no real-time application of did that learning make a difference to that leader's role? Because here's the thing, learning leadership development should do two things. It should result in behavior change and it should upskill. If you're not measuring those two things after the learning, during the learning, after the learning, and in the application of, to the role, you've just wasted $4,000 per head. And I can show you the numbers. That, that runs into the millions, millions every year, which contributes to that $400 billion figure. That's crazy. So do yourself a favor, chief people officers, training managers, and learning <laughs> director. Like, do yourself a favor. Just put a focus group together of different leaders in different like entry-level um, functional, experienced, even senior leaders, even board level, do a focus group, ask them what they want to learn and go and create a pathway specific to those leaders. You'll, you'll thank me because they'll stay in your organization. You know, it, it sounds like such a simple approach, but it just makes it, it, it does sound like a, such a simple approach, but it, you know, what, rem, what really frustrates me or pisses me off more than anything else is about the fact that, um, a lot of leaders jump to conclusion, jump to assumptions that, oh, they need this. They need this lean program. They need this program. But how do you know? How do you know what this person wants? Unless you are a mind reader. And last time I looked, listeners, no one's a mind reader listening in. So um, exactly. Do you know what I mean? So and, and do you know what, though? It's what, what's really interesting, though, Paul, is that actually that approach is actually no different from some other industries out there. 
uh, whether it be coaching, consulting, or whatever it might be, it's like there's no, I don't believe in the whole kind of one size fits all approach. I think it's, I think it's BS. You know, I think that yeah. everyone has their own, you know, challenges that have their own industries. And you have to really kind of take that into consideration. I, I'm, I'm a more of a bespoke type of person, really. Um, Cause I feel like that's more effective for a, a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs that are listening in. So, um, but yeah, I think you made a good point. Well, the other building off of that, it, you, you asked if it, if it was simple or I make it sound simple. I, I put in my book, you know, and, and the, the book that I'm you know, shopping around the publisher circuit at the moment, and, and it's a different kind of book. And I think we talked about this offline at some point, yeah. most books will diagnose what the problem is, their solution and then they'll give you three or four things to do but if you really want to get under the hood you have been you know you're going to have to buy some expensive products and services from their websites now i'm no different i'm a capitalist with conscience right so but what i want to do is open source the future of leadership so in my book i've given away about three million dollars of consulting at the back end mm -hmm. so that someone can take what i'm doing uh, an end-to-end roadmap and they don't ever have to talk to me so in particular, there's one point that I include around this topic of learning and development. And I say, <clears throat> just take a, you know, take a A4 piece of paper, um, write down, you know, the competencies that you have across the top, write down the leaders that you have down the side, do a check mark, who's got what, right? All of a sudden, that is a very simple way of mapping your talent and the competencies they need to develop. When you have a gap, guess what? You need to focus on it. That piece of work would have probably cost you fifty to $100,000 if I was consulting. I've just given it to you for free. Five minutes, do that. That then becomes your data point. Take that data point to your HR managers. Start to say, what kind of training do we have in these areas that these leaders don't have? By the way, we've also corroborated with the leaders themselves. We've asked them. Now we've got a double, double double the bubble right so now we've we've got available training if we if we have gaps guess what we do we then go out and procure that training it's a very straightforward process it takes time it takes money it takes commitment more than anything and it takes a vision to say we want to prioritize our leaders we want to prioritize their development because if we do that they're more likely to stay with us hbr came out with some research just about pre-pandemic the pre-pandemic um, this is before the pandemic, um, one in four, or is it one in four of your high, high potential leaders is considering leaving your organization right now. And they will leave within 12 months if they don't get the learning and development that they want. What do you think those numbers are right now in the, in the midst of this pandemic? They've gone up by two thirds, right? So all of that money is walking out of your door and you can fix that very quickly by doing something that a lot of us think is really challenging, but actually it just needs to have an honest conversation. Yeah. If we can have the honest conversations about the state of the union and what we need and how we're going to do it, well, that's half the battle, Adam. Absolutely. Love it, love it, love it. Um, what was going to say to you, um, you're a bit of a, a rebellious, um, you know, kind of out the, out the box thinking type of leader, if you like, but, how can companies that are listening in right now, how can they, number one, how can they recognize rebellious leaders? Uh, and why are they mm. important to a growth of the company? Because, you know, <clears throat> I know that um, 
when I use the word rebellious leaders, I my belief is that some people might perceptually see that as a negative aspect. They might see that as a threat. What's your perspective? Mm. Yeah, I think you make you, you raise a good point as we go into this segment because there is still a, a perception that being disruptive or rebellious is a, is a bad thing, right? So part of what my work does in the practice, Paul Mac leadership is to reframe the idea and the understanding of disruption and rebelliousness mm. from being a negative to actually being an asset for your organization, right? So straight off the bat, what I'm here to do is to reframe perceptions. And, you know, for those that are listening in and, and want to know more about this, you know, there's, a, there's an increasing plethora of research and, and work in this area. You know, Francesca Gino, Professor Francesca Gino out of um, Harvard has written a book called Rebel Talent. Uh, it takes on similar strands of, of what, what my arguments are. Um, others, Lois Kelly, uh, there are others out there. Name, you know, I can provide names in the show notes, of course. But there's a growing movement that says we need a different type of leadership quality that stirs things up and stirs things up, not because they're trying to be challenging, but because they're trying to evolve the organization, right? So, you know, you, you asked me, um, you know, kind of how do you recognize rebellious and disruptive leaders? Well, they're the ones that come in and they ask why. They're the ones that say, we've, we've done it this way for eons. The results we've got suggest this. Could we be open to trying a new way? Like, so they manifest that, that they show up very differently. So they, they can be subtle. They can be quite immersive. But, but make no mistake. They, they are designed, they're, they're hardwired to want to evolve conversations, projects, missions, quests, and they do it in a selfless way. They're not narcissistic. They're not bought into the system. In fact, they don't care about the system. You bring them in to do something and they want to achieve it. They want to overachieve it. Now, so the fired leadership methodology that I created, which was based upon my, my leadership you know, me being fired as a leader for having these disruptive qualities, fresh thinking. So bringing new ideas to the table and not being constrained by old patterns of thinking. Oh, we can't do this. We've tried that. That'll never work. We can't afford it. Really? Try something new. You'll get new results. Fresh thinking. I, inquisitive nature. Ask why. Be curious. This, this lends itself to Francesca's work, which she talks about curiosity is the new business case. And HBR have an, a business case, an article on this, that shows the actual ROI of leaders being curious. I take it one step further and I build it into the DNA of the organization and of the leader and, and build diagnostics and assessment tools around how inquisitive you are. Real and accountable. That's the R in the fired. And that is as it suggests. Be vulnerable, be authentic, turn up real, don't have an agenda, don't wear a mask, okay? So turn up your authentic self. Expressive and challenging. Basically, when you're in a, in a room and everybody goes this way, they zag, you zig, right? So don't be afraid to be the, the contrarian, to say, why are we not talking about this? And if we talked about it this way, we might just get a different result. Bring everybody into that conversation. It's, it's agnostic of hierarchy. It doesn't matter if you're a leader or you're a janitor. Everybody has an equal contribution. Bring them in. Create the climate. Create the culture to do that. And D, direct and transparent. 
don't play the political game. Know that the political game costs you. Not maybe not now, but in the long run. So say what you mean and mean what you say. I think the、uh, University of Nebraska did some research about the effectiveness of meetings, and I've applied that in my book to say we spend 22 years of our career, half our career as an executive, in meetings. Guess how many, Adam, of those meetings are actually needed? 50% of them. And when we do the the calculated cost of that. That's that's also contributing to the seven trillion dollars of disengagement. Millions upon millions of dollars is spent every year in useless meetings. If you have the D trait in the FIRE framework, you cut through the crap. What's the put the point of this meeting? Why are we here? Who do we need to hear from? What's the expected output? Go and finish the meeting, and make sure you've achieved your objectives. All of those five qualities really, I've tried to use my book. And my work to show how you recognise those qualities as they turn up in leaders. Now, I think there's lots to do to reframe the culture of the organisation so that they actually they look for those qualities. They're embracing them,、yeah. right? Rather than saying we'll make you a pariah because you ask too many questions. As I said earlier, innovation, in my opinion and my research, is the product of disruptive thinking. You can't have disruptive thinking and disruption. Unless you create the environment for people to think and act differently, you've got to create the conditions up front. So that means HR managers, VPs of HRs, again, lean in. Your hiring practice need to evolve to identify and embrace and celebrate disruptive and rebellious leadership qualities, because those are the qualities. Believe me, when the research tells us this, are the things that's going to differentiate your organisation in the future. Uh, it will. They will enable you to thrive, and so people are people are scared of these qualities because they、yeah. think, oh, you're you're just here to 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 cause trouble. Well,、yeah. no, I'm here to evolve something, and we need to to reframe this conversation. I'm doing some work with、um, an organization in the U.S. called the Sales Rebellion, and they're they're reframing the way that、um, sales leaders are developed for the future. And we're working to incorporate fired leadership into how they develop their sales leaders, because it's a different kind of leadership that we'll need for the future. And so that's my kind of take on that. I'll pause for some breath or challenge. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, Adam, you 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 committed behind the the curtain to ask me really challenging questions and make me uncomfortable, but I'm still not feeling uncomfortable. All right. Well, that's that. That okay. Well, that's that. Well, at least you're at least you're open and honest. But、um, what's going to say? I know that we're coming towards the end of our, our <laughs>、yeah. end of our interview, and there's something that is、um, kind of interesting for me, and I, especially with you know, we all know the importance of good thriving cultures. We know how important it is to have the right people and stuff.、Mm. But especially for our listeners, one of the things that Causes concern for them more than anything else is how do we distinguish between bad apples that that are part of the company and someone that is maybe rebellious? You know what? You know how can we deal with those type? How can we deal with the bad apples in our cult in, in our organization? Any thoughts there? Yeah, 
oh, so many thoughts you might be on for another few hours. <laughs> um, how can we deal with bad apples in the organization? Well, I, I, I am going to say this, and it's going to sound like a broken record for everybody who follows me and sees my stuff, but we have to dig deeper. We have to address the systemic and institutional level dysfunction. We're not like I, I put a, uh, an article out on this a few weeks ago, and I think about 16,000 people have read it in some way so far, which is really humbling because, again, I started this whole practice from a basement with no windows in a room playing ping pong, right? That's how it started, this idea. What if we could change the narrative about the f- whole thing is mushroomed? So to answer that question, you know, everybody seems to focus on on the the outputs of bad apples. You know, like there's been so many famous high profile cases in the news. You know, other hashtag movements are coming up around all of these things. And by the way, I'm very supportive of that. And I, I think those things should be dealt with in in, in a proper manner. Mm-hmm. I go deeper because to deal with the bad apples. You can take one bad apple off a tree, but you you and I both know another one's going to grow back. Right. So how do we deal with the the source, the root cause of the challenge? We have to have those uncomfortable conversations about things around the state of our leadership, our systems, our processes, the way we've designed our structure organizationally, the culture that we've embedded. We we permit what we promote and we promote what we permit. And so the bad apples, we need to have that conversation but I did it the other day. I was in a. I'm helping some of the clients I help are dysfunctional leadership teams, and I help to improve their behaviour. But we have to create the conditions for safety first. I'm not going to drone on about psychological safety. I, I, I appreciate that work, but for me, a lack of trust is why that work is needed. So I create the conditions for creating trust, and to do that, we have to have the conversations that we don't want to have, and that means. We have to be vulnerable. So to deal with the bad apples, it's not the apple that's bad. It's the it's the setting in which the apple has been grown. So I look at it through a systemic lens. Whitney Johnston deals with disruption through that individual lens. Yes. I deal with it through looking at it at the core. And for me, toxicity is no different. Everybody's banging on about the effects of toxicity and toxic cultures. And I understand that I, I, am, I applaud them. I want to go deeper so to create the environment. So like 20 years from now, I mean, I've just been talking about Gen Z as well. When right. Gen Z become leaders, I they, they won't inherit this system. They don't want this system as leaders. No. When they become leaders and I'm, you know, in my old age pensioner's home or, you know, on a beach somewhere in, in Thailand, I don't really care if they've heard of me or not. But the, the effect of the legacy of my work is that they never have to deal with those bad apples because we've created a different culture. Yeah. And, and here's one thing for the listeners, that if you're contemplating how you deal with bad apples, let me give you this tool that you can use right now. It's a powerful tool. I expect to see it on Glassdoor one day because I'm actually, <laughs> I'd like to talk with Glassdoor about getting this on. Amazing. But it's a toxicity scorecard, right? How toxic is your organization? And it starts with this tool that I call Name What You See. And as I had a finance sector client use this tool with her leadership team, largest finance sector client in Canada or largest organization in Canada in, in the financial wealth area. And, and as a leadership team, they, they started to name what they saw in terms of toxic behavior with their leaders. Yeah. Right. So Adam, 
this week I saw you do this. This was the effect of that. And this is why I think we need to talk about it. Paul, you did the same. And we went around the team. All of a sudden, you then have a bunch of different pieces of data that you can prioritize. So we chose as a team the one area to focus on to reduce toxicity. Interesting. Right? And when I when I followed up with that that um, VP, the levels of productivity in that leadership team had increased 20 to 30 percent. Morale had increased wow. and they were addressing their dysfunction. Now, yes. my work is all about one conversation at a time. I meet you where you are. That's a ripple effect. Another conversation happens. And that's how we change a system, Adam. It's not top down. It's bottom up and top down. We have to meet each other where we are. And so to get those bad apples out of the system, first, we need to address the systemic dysfunction in the system. Then we create the space for the conversations with the bad apples because they're not bad. They've just inherited a system that's bad, right? True. We All the way from Taylorism and the Industrial Revolution and managerial theories about efficiency improvement, we thought it was good for us. It's not good for us. It's had its day. We're evolving the future of work and toxicity. Unless we deal with it, trust me on this, this will be the next pandemic. And we have to address it at the core before we can really deal with creating the future of work. So that's my take on that. <laughs> well, listen, I'm engrossed in our conversation more than anything else. Probably the one of the reasons why I haven't challenged you yeah. as much because I'm so engrossed in the conversation. But it is, it's like... Well, you're not, gr you're not grossed out. That's good. You're not no, I'm not grossed out, out. Which I'm good. but it's yeah. a good thing. Um, what was going to say? No, but it's, it, you know, it's a really fascinating topic that we're talking about. And, uh, and first of all, I just want to say, thanks very much for being on the show i really greatly appreciate your time and and for you guys that are listening in i hope that some of our conversations have been um has kind of given you a bit of a maybe a couple of epiphanies uh some eye openers or whatever it is um you know from today's conversation because we have gone through a lot of great you know juicy value bombs that paul has dropped today um so paul i just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today i really appreciate you Thank you, Adam. I, you know, I, I always welcome the opportunity to talk with, you know, like-minded people, but also those that challenge me and that, you know, because that helps what I do and being rich, more enriched, and it helps me think differently as well. But, you know, what we're doing with the work I'm doing is, is basically just moving, moving the needle slightly and kind of getting people to have conversations that matter. So any forum that we can do that, you know, I, I always relish it. So thank you for listening and, and, and kind of you know kind of moving this forward with us awesome so for you guys that are interested in learning more about paul we're going to put all of his show links on uh we'll put all these social media links below so make sure you connect with him when you do reach out to him and connect with him do mention the podcast if you have any specific questions i'm sure that he'll be more than too kind to uh to give you uh so do connect with him you know that's what i'm saying to you guys Listen, I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. I thoroughly have. Paul certainly has. And um, if you have enjoyed today's episode, then please do me a favor. Leave a one or a five-star review on Apple or on Spotify. We really greatly appreciate that. Anyway, from me and Paul, thanks very much. Have a fantastic day, week, month. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.